Gateway. Well, good morning, Gateway. Well, good morning, Gateway. It is great to see you this morning. I'm glad we get to gather together and to worship the Lord as the people of God today. For those here in the room, glad you're able to make them. Those online at home, great to be tuned in as well. Just a few announcements for us as we begin, just to remind you some things coming up and opportunities for you. Midweek activities have resumed. They kicked off last week. We had a great start to the new semester of midweek activities. We have a men's group, two different ladies. and getting to know people on a deeper level. Now, I want to remind you we have Discover Gateway today. This is a place for those who have been visiting Gateway to come learn more about who we are as a church. There's still a few spots left. It's mostly full, but if you'd like to participate and haven't signed up, just see me before. about the time with you and um, just you should already have information of how to get to my house after the service for lunch and we're looking forward to the time with you on that this coming saturday we have a men's day hike and i am thrilled and looking forward to this been looking forward to it for a while so invite all the men and the boys if you want to join us for this is for all ages so dads feel free to bring your kids bring your teenage sons along with you we're going to go up to the north side of lake martin and we're going to hike to the smith mountain fire tower it's an old restored fire tower that you actually can climb to the top and it's safe to do so and it's beautiful views of Lake Martin. We've also added to this those who want the experience. We're doing some bouldering out there. Jeff Moody, one of our elders, is big into bouldering. And so he's going to bring his gear with him. And we'll do some bouldering out there near the fire tower. For those who want to do that, that's not required, obviously. And then we're going to do a hike out to some islands you can only get to when the lake is drained low in the winter. So it's going to be a fun day just to hang out together. Details are on our website. There's no cost, but we do need you to register for it. So go to Gateway Baptist. Com. Finally, Parents' Night Out is coming up in February, Saturday, February 12th. Our young adult life group came to us and said, we want to serve the body. So could we do a Parents' Night Out for the, the parents of the church? And we were like, let's pray about it. Yes. We are so excited about that. This event has filled up faster than any event I think we've ever done at Gateway. We posted it online and within two hours it was at 50% capacity. And it's just the registrations kept coming. We are now completely full for it. But we're hoping to add capacity to it. So if you are wanting to do this, go sign up. It'll put you on a wait list so we know who's going to. And we will do our very best to add more spots to it. But we really appreciate the young adult group doing this. That's coming up February 12th. And details on the website. Well, as we prepare to worship the Lord, I want to ask you to stand, please. I want to read to us from Scripture, from Psalm 24. We want to sing about and think about the greatness of the Lord this morning. Just to be reminded that He is all-powerful. We use the big word omnipotent to describe the all power of God. There's nothing too hard for him. We get to serve and we get to worship and love the God who has redeemed us, who is all powerful. Psalm 24, eight through 10 says, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come. And who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Let's worship him this morning.
So when I fight, I 
together.
Shall praise us. 
ask you to see. Good morning, Gateway. I'm Ryan. And who are you? Eliana. And Eliana. <laughs> and we are telling you good morning from Cambodia, from Phnom Penh. We are thankful for you guys and uh, just thankful for your uh, partnership and love and care and prayer for us. And um, yeah, so I just kind of give you guys a brief update of what's going on after we, let's see, we left you guys last fall. We eventually, those are dogs in our neighborhood that you hear. Um, sorry, we have dogs that just randomly start screaming like that. Um, but we left you guys. We eventually made our way here to Phnom Penh. And by God's grace, we got here and we did not have to quarantine. And that was amazing that all seven of us did not have to sit in a room for 14 days. How, I can't get over the fact how amazing that is. So, But we are thankful and rejoicing in that. And uh, by the Lord's grace, we landed, uh, got into a ho- our hotel, and I immediately hit the ground running the next day looking at houses. And um, within 48 hours, I was like, all right, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to do this one. And we just, I picked it because we wanted to live in a neighborhood and got a house and then some work had to be done. So we painted the walls. I put in a ceiling fan uh, because right now, as it's your winter, it may be really cold, but it's our winter and it's a mild 92 today. So, isn't that right? Yes. Yep. So, um, but we're low humidity. So I guess low humidity equals uh, winter here. So it is what it is, but we're thankful, thankful to be here and got our house set up. And uh, and just due to generosity from your church, yeah, we're able to get our house. Uh, I had to go through and, and, and basically just we rebuy everything and bought beds and uh, chairs and let's see, a desk and yeah, whatever she's doing and all of these things. And there's the whole house and the kids got loft beds and we're just so thankful, thankful for the blessings and just the generosity of brother, of faithful uh, brothers and sisters that are willing to give sacrificially, and so we got got our house and it's set up, and then it also just all all that that comes with that. So if you're a homeowner in your church, you know what I mean. And uh, and then now uh, Joy has started to do homeschool. So while I'm doing all this, Joy was faithfully laboring away at seminary and finishing up her uh, biblical counseling certification at in the hotel while managing all of our kids so really really thankful for that and uh, we got settled in and uh, this has been a blessing as we're able to get kids bikes and we live in a neighborhood and the kids for the first time ever can go right around in the neighborhood and we have kids tons and tons of kids who live here other expats from all over the world and um, and they're able to ride bikes, play in the park down the street. Uh, Eliana, what you don't have a bike? What do you have? A scooter. Yeah, she rides her purple scooter and plays with her friends. Right? Who's your friend? Max. 
Knox. So that's one uh, boy that lives a couple houses down that's her age, and they play together. So since we've hit the ground running, um, I have actually picked up. I'm going to see if I can show it to you. We are... What is it? Oh, uh, it doesn't show. But I have started learning language. Yeah, I've started learning Kamai. If I'm going to live here for the next 20 years, I need to be able to counsel and love and serve and preach in the local language. And while English gets things purchased and Chinese can get things purchased as well, if I'm going to speak the heart and language of the people, got to learn Kamai. So now I have resorted to being her age or younger again. And um, and so I'm learning to, yesterday's words was meat, okra, cake, and noodles, and donut. But donut's just donut in Kamai. So Yay. you now know a word in Kamai, donut. So say it with me, donut. There you go. Donut. Yeah, there we are. And so we uh, learned in Kamai. I'm going to be teaching at the Bible school, biblical counseling. And Joy's laboring away, and we're both uh, excited and thankful. Thankful for your church, thankful for the partnership here. And we are continuing to labor forth in Christ's name for his glory and planting a church here for his need so that his glory and kingdom spreads. Thank you. Thank you for giving the Lottie Moon for just sacrificially loving us. She's tired of hearing me talk, and as you are, as probably all of you are as well. But thank you. Feel free to send us emails, and uh, we want to keep up. Thanks. Father, thank you for that video, just a reminder of so many who are going, who are on the mission field, and how you're using them, um, thinking here in terms of Paul, <laughs> but now in Christ Jesus, who you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So then, you, we in this church who know you, are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Lord, as listening to um, Ryan share what's going on in Cambodia, he's beginning that, that trip in order to share the love of Christ, to share the gospel. And we pray that for Ryan and Joy Thomas, that through their ministry, many would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they might become members of the household of God. And so, Lord, we pray for them and ask that you would do a, a great work. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to gather and to worship you. Lord, this morning as we sung the praises of holy, 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 we're reminded, Lord, that we are so unworthy. Lord, we come before you and we do so in Christ and in Christ alone. There is no other way, Lord, to approach your throne it would be as Isaiah said in Isaiah 6, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And yet, Lord, you have purified us. The blood of Christ cleanses us. And so this morning as we come before your throne, Lord, we do so and we pray, we, we cry out to you for help. We cry out to you and give thanks as well. Thank you for the uh, Gateway Young Adult Ministry and for Zach and Rachel and Parker who have been ministering in that context. Lord, I pray for that group that you would continue to grow them in their love for you. Give them wisdom as they minister in their communities and in their workplace. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give grace upon grace. Lord, we pray for the Love Loud uh, Montgomery ministry uh, where Donna McCullough is involved. And we pray as she leads this ministry uh, to provide food and clothing to those in need and the gospel, that, Lord, you would bless that ministry, that many would come. And as their physical needs are being met, that the gospel would go forward. They would hear that this is all being done in the love of Christ. And that, Lord, that you would turn their hearts to you. Father, we want to pray this morning for Pastor Gary Burton at Pentlala Baptist Church. He's celebrating his 45th year as the pastor of Pentlala. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of Gary. Thank you for how he has poured his life into those people, into that ministry, into that church. And Lord, I pray that as they celebrate this, his 45th year, that they would just love on their pastor. And I pray for that ministry, that you would continue to bless it and continue to grow it. And Lord, as we uh, give, as we take the offerings, we give out of the abundance of our hearts, I pray that you would take the offering that has been given and that will be given, and that you would use it to the furtherance of your kingdom. Lord, help us to be good stewards of our resources. Help us to give out of the abundance of our hearts. Lord, because we want to see the name of Christ go into all the world. Lord, this morning as Grady comes and proclaims your truth, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see as the word of God is open to us. I pray, Lord, that we would be attentive to, his, to, the, to the preaching of your word. And we pray for Grady that you would just anoint him with your spirit, Lord, as he communicates your truth. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship as we sit under the preaching of your word. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Rick and boys and girls, first to fourth grade are dismissed to kids' worship. You've got Pastor CJ this morning. So first to fourth grade can head to kids' worship. If you find Ephesians chapter 2 while the kids are exiting, I am so grateful to be back with you after missing last week, recovering from COVID. Thankful for Seth preaching the word faithfully and filling in <clears throat> for me. I am mostly well, but I still have a little cough. Hopefully that won't be too much of a hindrance this morning. And for those who've had COVID and have what people call COVID brain, the mental fog that lingers, I am still dealing with that, so I am praying for much grace from the Lord this morning to be coherent. As one of the elders jokingly said, but half serious in our elder meeting this week, I talked twice as fast, and now my brain's working at half capacity. So this may be a very dangerous combination, but we will trust the Lord and his providence to make sense of everything. So you can find Ephesians chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're using a catechism, which is a series of questions and answers to guide us through taking a big picture look for a year and what we believe, our desire is to be more rooted, more grounded in knowing the word of God and knowing what we believe so that we can grow and mature and to be all that God desires for us to be. This morning, we're actually going to tackle two questions in one from the catechism that's guiding us. I think you'll see why as we jump into it. We're going to start with question 33 this morning. And the question is, should we seek our salvation through our works? Should we seek our salvation through our works? Now, if you've been with us any length of time, you already know the answer to this question. Friends, here's the easy question for the morning. Should we try to gain salvation by doing good things? Yes or no? No. Okay, good. You've been listening. Yes. We should not be trying to gain salvation through good works. Salvation is all of God's grace. It's all of God's kindness to us. There's nothing we can do to earn God's salvation. <clears throat> that then leads to the second question for this morning. That's question 34 in the catechism. And that is, since we are redeemed by grace, not by works, must we still do good works? So if we're saved by grace, not by works, must we still do good works? So our two questions really go together this morning. Do we need to do good works to be saved? And do we need to do good works once we are saved? Do we need to do good works to gain salvation? And do we need to do good works once we have 
salvation. And one text will answer both of those questions for us. So we're going to look at this together in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. So as we look at verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 2, be looking for both. Do we need to do good works to be saved? And do we need to do good works once we are followers of Christ? So as we look at these three verses, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version, and we also have the words on the screen. And friends, for many of you, these are such familiar words, but I pray this morning that the familiarity of these verses would not lead us to miss the wonder of what we see here and the grace of God. So Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the preciousness of your word. Lord, thank you for giving it to us. Even as we just saw that video from Ryan Thomas in Cambodia, Lord, we're reminded that all over the world of people who've never even had an opportunity to read your word in their heart language. And here we are able to gather together and open your word, see it on the screen, hear it read, read it on our Bible apps, read it on our Bibles. Lord, may we not take for granted the blessing we have, the grace gift you've given to us, in giving us your word. So Lord, as we look at familiar verses for many of us this morning, Lord, we pray that they would come alive to us, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the wonder of what we read, the truth of what we read, and it would transform us and change us as you make us into who you desire us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we dig into our question, our answer for the morning, I, as we look at this text, I want to just tell us up front, there's a danger that we need to avoid. There's something that easily happens for a lot of people as they look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And that danger is for many people, they look at this text and look at verses 8 and 9 and see it being about God's grace, God's grace and salvation, which it is. But then when we come to verse 10, we see that as something totally different. We see it as a new idea and we begin to see verse 10 as an obligation to God because of what he's done for us in verses 8 and 9. And friends, that's the wrong approach to this text because that dichotomy does not exist. This is not verses 8 and 9 are about grace and verse 10 is about works. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are one idea and it's all about grace. It's all about what God does for us. Now, unfortunately, that dichotomy exists in a lot of American Christianity. You may hear it expressed through well-meaning questions like, well, God has saved you. What are you going to do for him in response now? But friends, that's not the right approach to our faith. If we have the approach, well, God's grace saved me. Now, I've got to work hard for God to repay him. We've set ourselves up for failure because we miss what God's plan for our lives is. So I was studying, I came across an article in the Gospel Coalition. The author said it so, so well. He said, there's a damaging idea floating around today that says, God saved you. Now, what are you going to do for him? This is a recipe for failure. If you come to the Christian life believing you can do anything for God in your own strength <clears throat> or repay him on any level, you fall back to the self-dependent spiritual death from which Jesus saved you. Now think about that. He says, if you think you can do anything for God in your own strength, <clears throat> if you think you can do works to repay God for what he's done for you, he says, you are falling back to self-dependent spiritual death from which God has saved you. So as we look at this, we want to look at verses 8, 9, and 10 as a cohesive unit about the grace of God, not what God did now, what do I need to do in response. So as we dig into this in Ephesians 2 this morning, let's make sure we understand what we're looking at here. We're in a genre of scripture called the epistles or called the letters. These are letters that were written to the early churches. This one was written by the apostle Paul around 62 AD. He was writing to believers in the town of Ephesus. 
And if you think back, we say to Ephesians many years ago, but for those who are here, you'll remember this. For those who are new, I just want to remind you, if you look at the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about our identity in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are not what are we supposed to do. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about what Christ has done for us, what God has done in His grace for us. Then chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us how our lives are different. Not what we should strive to do, but they tell us how our lives are changed because of that identity we have in Christ. So Ephesians breaks down to those two big sections. Today we're in section, that first section, what God has done for us, and that helps us really understand verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse number 10. And we see that in the way it's laid out. So let's go back to the beginning of this section, understand God's grace and what he's done for us. Look back at verse 8 this morning, and notice how Paul says it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now let's just stop right there. He says you have been saved. Now, in the American church, this has become common lingo of being saved, and I feel like we lose the wonder of what that means. In the American church, being saved often means very little more than have you prayed a prayer and you think you're going to heaven when you die. <clears throat> but friends, in the Bible, to be saved is to be rescued from the wrath of God. This reminds us what we've seen over and over, that we deserve God's wrath. We deserve His holy anger and expression of that anger against our sins because we have all offended him. And as we've seen before in our studies, we all start out under the wrath of God. We all start out condemned and guilty because we have offended God. We need to be rescued. But like we saw back in the fall, we cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We are dead in our sins. We have offended a holy God. The only hope is for a redeemer to rescue us. Our only hope is grace, God doing for us what we cannot do ourselves. And we see that here in verse 8 in this phrase, for by grace you have been saved. Now, it's one of my favorite words in the Bible. You know that if you've been around Gateway any length of time. But grace simply means God's unmerited kindness to us. It's God's favor to us, giving us what we do not deserve, giving us what we cannot earn. It's His grace. And so we see here from the outset here that it's by God's grace, God's kindness, that we have been saved, that we've been rescued from His wrath. Well, that raises the question, what is our responsibility? Do we have a responsibility in faith here, and Paul makes it very clear for us. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith being belief and trust in God. But notice this, he says, We're saved through faith. This is really important because in the Greek language in which this was written, this preposition through does not mean on account of or because. So this does not mean what a lot of people read it as. This is not saying that God saved you on account of your faith. It does not mean God saved you because of your faith. Rather, God gave you faith and his grace gave you faith and he saved you through that. This is showing us that our faith is the result of God's grace, not our faith results in God's grace. That's a big distinction. It's really important. It's not only here in Scripture. You see other places. Acts chapter 18, verse 27. This is a text about Apollos being sent out. It says, And when he, Apollos, wished to, to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome them. When he arrived, now notice this, he greatly helped those who, through what? Who, through what? <clears throat> through grace have believed. Notice that they didn't believe and then they got grace, but it was through God's grace given to them, they then believed, they then had faith. Likewise, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, we see something very similar as well. Philippians 1, 29, For it has been granted to you, God has given you something here, What that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. In this verse, there's two things that we're told that God has given to you. He's given to you belief. That's His grace gift. His grace gives us faith, gives us belief, and His grace also gives us trials for our own good and for his glory. So our faith is the result of his grace. Our faith does not cause him to give us 
grace. I love how the theologian John Stott once said it. He said, we must never think of salvation as a type of transaction between God and us, in which he gives the grace and we contribute the faith. He says, no, we were dead and had to be brought to life before we could believe. So what Paul is trying to lay out for us is that we bring nothing but sin, rebellion, idolatry, and any change in us, any salvation, anything that rescues us has absolutely nothing to do with us. It is completely of God. Now, lest we miss that, Paul repeats this three more times. So four times here in these short verses, he tells us the same thing. He's just told us, by grace you have been saved through the faith that God has given you. Now, he's going to repeat that with three different phrases. Look back in verse number eight here for us, and look at the second thing he tells us in verse eight as well. He says, and this is not your own doing. Now, what is the this here? There's been some debate over the years of what the this is. This is everything you see before it. This is the faith, the grace, the salvation. It's the whole package of what he's just presented. This grace-given faith that you have that has led to salvation, this is not your own doing. There's nothing we did that made God look at us and be like, I like him, I like her, therefore I'm going to save that person. He's saying, no, there's absolutely nothing we contributed that caused God to look on us with favor. It was nothing of our own doing. Now, lest we miss that, Paul repeats himself again. I feel like he's a parent talking to kids here. He says it four different times, right? He says it again now in the third part of verse 8. He says, not only is it not your own doing, he says, it is the gift of God. It is the free gift of God that God has given to us something he does not have to give us, that he would still be good and holy and just to condemn us, but in his great love and sovereign plan, he has chosen to give us what we do not deserve and cannot gain on our own. It is the gift of God. So three times in one verse, by grace you've been saved through faith, not your own doing. It's the gift of God, but he's not done. Verse 9, he gives it to us a fourth time as he repeats it in verse 9. It is not a result of works. And what are the works here? Works are anything you could possibly think of that you could contribute. Your efforts to obedience, your efforts to try to get to God, your religion, your morality, your church involvement, your generosity to others, your good deeds, nothing you can even imagine to do would be what resulted in your salvation. Your salvation was completely God's grace, nothing of your own works. That's why Paul can say so clearly in Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, what results with works. So Romans 11, 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by what? Chosen by what? Grace. Okay, now verse 6, he calls up. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of what? Works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Do you see that? That if we contribute even the smallest bit to our salvation, if God's going to give 99%, our little 1% of being good caused him to save us, it is no longer grace. It'd be works. And God says there's nothing that we bring. It is all of him. So we go back to verse 9. We see that once again in our text for today. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast. Friends, you and I cannot be like, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ because I chose God and I'm a good person. Friends, it has absolutely nothing to us. We have no reason to boast. We were lost in our sin, and God in his great mercy did not leave us on the path to hell. He instead rescued us and saved us and gave us faith and gave us salvation all because of his grace. The problem is too often if we get that, we stop there. And so often in the Christian life, we see, okay, salvation is of grace. I didn't do anything. But now, now I'm going to work hard for God because he saved me. Now I'm going to repay God for what he did for me. We switch from grace to works. And verse 10 guards us from doing that. Verse 10 realigns us to realize that anything good that happens in us is not because we started working hard for God. Because it's still all of God's grace. Friends, the grace that saves us 
now transforms us. And please don't miss that because that's what verse 10 is showing us. The grace that saves us, what we just saw in verses 8 and 9, is the grace that now, verse 10, transforms us. The same grace of God, the same unmerited kindness, favor of God, saves us and also transforms us. How does it transform us? Verse 10, it shows us two of many ways that God's grace transforms us. It shows us that it transforms our identity, our understanding of who we are, and it transforms what we do, our work. So it transforms both our identity and what we do. Let's start with identity, how God's grace keeps changing us beyond salvation to change our identity. Verse 10, friends, this is stunning. Again, see this in light of God's grace, not what we do. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Friends, let this sink in. It says we are If you are in Christ, if you believe in him or trusting in him, this is your God-given identity. This is what God says you are. Not what you need to strive to be, but what God says you already are because of his grace. It says you are his workmanship. Now, some translations say you are his creation, or some will say you are his handiwork. Now, what does that mean to be God's creation, his work, or his handiwork? When we think of this, please do not think about your eighth grade science project. That's not the type of handiwork that is in mind here, the type of creation that is in mind here. When you think of what it means to be workmanship, this is not your best home repair project where the thing kind of stayed on the wall and didn't fall off, okay? When it talks about God's creation, God's handiwork, God's workmanship, the actual Greek word here is the word poemia. Sound a little bit familiar? It's the word we get our English word poem from. Literally, this is you are God's poem. You are God's creative masterpiece. That God has taken the best of all that he can do, which is always perfect, and he has created a poem, a work of art, a masterpiece, and that is you. That you literally now, by God's declaration, are his masterpiece, his creative work of art, his poem. And it's all of him. It's not that we strive to be become this. Again, back in verse 10, for we are his poem, we are his workmanship, we are created in Christ Jesus. He did it all. This is still his grace. This is not, go try to make yourself into God's workmanship. Now go try to become God's masterpiece. He says, if you are in Christ, he has already created you to be his masterpiece, his poem, his work of art. It is still all of grace. His grace saves us and gives us faith. His grace gives us a God-given identity that we are his masterpiece. And the second thing it does, God's grace now transforms what we do. God's grace transforms what we do. God's grace that saves us gives us a new identity, and God's grace now transforms us in what we do. Back to verse 10. We are his workmanship, his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God's grace produces in us good works. Again, this is so important. This is not you as God's people now go strive to do good works. This is God's grace that saved you. God's grace that gave you a new identity is now God's grace that is making come out of you good works works. Not try hard for these things, not white-knuckle determination, but letting God's grace create good works through you. Now, what are these good works? It's where it'd be nice if Paul just gave us a list right here, right? But he doesn't. What are the good works? Well, he's just alluded to them in the context here. Go back to verse 5. I want you to see where he's building here, and I think it explains to us what the good works are. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, he's setting the stage for what's to come. I think we have it up on the screen for you. Ephesians 2, 5. You have it there? Okay, you can look back in your Bible. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There it is again. By grace, you have been saved. Now, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus. So once again, he's setting the stage for the salvation by grace alone. Now in verse 7, right before our text for today, he tells us the reason why God saved us. And it's not to make much of us. It's not because we're such amazing people. Why did God save us? Why did God put his grace in us? Verse 7, so in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Now, let that sink in. Our salvation, everything we saw in verses 5 and 6, and what we read this morning in verses 8 and 9, around this one verse here, God did this so he could show off. He could let everyone see the immeasurable riches of his grace. Our salvation, our transformation is all about God's glory. It's all about God showing off who he is to a lost and dying world. It's him showing off what only he could do to the world around, to the angels that are watching, to anything they can see. He's showing off himself. He's showing off his greatness. So what are the good works? If we go back down to verse 10, the good works are anything that accomplished verse 7. The good works are anything that brings glory to God. Anything that makes much of God are the good works of verse 10. Now, that would include the strength to put off sin in our life. When by God's grace, we quit doing strongholds of sin in our life that have enslaved us for years, we can't explain that by human effort. That gives glory to God. When we choose to pursue Christ's righteousness by the grace of God, that makes much of Him. When we die to self to serve others, that brings glory to God because that's so unnatural. When we speak the truth of the gospel to non-believers around us, that makes much of God. Anything that makes much of God are the good works that He is talking about. So any type of obedience, any type of putting off sin, any type of service to others, any type of worship, anything that makes much of God would be the good works of verse 10. So go back to verse 10 this morning. We are his workmanship. We are his poem, his masterpiece, created by God in Christ Jesus for glorifying him, for good works, for anything that will make much of him. And notice this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. He prepared beforehand, friends, before God made the world. He already knew you. Before he made the world, he already chose to set his affection on you. Before he made the world, if you were in Christ, he'd already chosen to save you, to give you this new identity, to give you a transformed life that would make much of him. Friends, if you struggle with your identity, if you struggle with feeling like your life has purpose or meaning, if you struggle to believe that God loves you, you need to memorize and own verse 10 right here. You are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God prepared this path for you before he even spoke the world into being. Friends, if you struggle with those things, memorize this verse, put your name in this verse. This is God's identity he's given to you, and this is his plan for your life. God's grace saves us, God's grace transforms us, and God's grace causes us to overflow with good works that bring him glory. So what is our responsibility, friends? All this is God's grace. So what are we supposed to do? Well, the only thing that we're told to do in all three of these verses, we're not told to have faith, we're not told to embrace this identity, we're just told this is what God has already done for you. There's only one phrase that indicates anything we're supposed to do in these verses, and that's the very last phrase, that we should, what's the next word? We should walk in them. In the Bible, the word walk means live. So this is not a call to try harder. This is a call to embrace what God has already done and not get in the way of it. This is a call to live a grace-focused and a grace-filled life. Friends, this is a call to live a grace-filled and a grace-focused life where good works overflow. This is not, I'm going to try harder to be good this year. I'm going to try harder to do good things this year. This is, I'm going to understand God's grace and let it transform me and sanctify me and mature me so that good works flow out of me because of what God has done. Now, how does this happen? 
Love how it's said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We're told, may I may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through what? Grace. Through grace. There it is again, now verse 17. Now through his grace, here's what he's going to do. He's going to comfort your hearts and establish them in every what? Every good work and word. You see what he's doing here? God himself, he's saying the Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ are working together to establish us in good works. That God himself is the one. You and I are not going to do good works by trying harder. Good works come when God himself establishes our hearts in good works. And friends, he's promised to do that in his children. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 are a beautiful picture. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now just pause there. This is what we were singing about this morning, the great power of God. This seen so clearly in so many ways from creation, but ultimately in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now verse 21, he's going to equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So he's going to equip you. Friends, this is not us having to try harder and equip ourselves and find out some way to be good for God. This is God himself who saved you and said, if I've saved you, I'm also going to equip you with everything, not just some things, with everything good that you need to do his will. And he goes to say, he's working in us. This is not us working it ourselves. This is him working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And why is he doing this in us? Again, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. So our hope for a transformed life is not a New Year's resolution. I'm just going to work harder at it. But it's understanding the grace of God that saved me is the same grace that is now going to transform me. That God himself is going to change me and produce good works through me. Now, how does he do this? How does he equip us? How does he change us? Two ways. And it's not rocket science. You could probably guess these. Number one, the word of God, the Bible. The scripture. God has given us his word so that we can do his will. Everything good that we need, he's revealed to us in his word. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is a beautiful text, and we're told, So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Now, what is Paul praying for the people of all the things he could ask for? He's praying, asking you may be filled with a knowledge of his will. Now, friends, where do we know his will? Scripture, the Bible. So Paul's praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, verse 10, he carries on. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We can't disconnect those, friends. Our, any ability we have to do good works comes from knowing the word of God and letting the grace of God fill our hearts with the knowledge of him. So God uses his word so that we can be equipped to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruits in every good What? Every good what? Work. work. There it is again. The works. The works come as God established them in our heart through the written word of God. There's a second thing that God uses to establish some good works. He uses the word, but number two, he uses the Holy Spirit. He uses the Holy Spirit, the third person of the one triune God. He uses the Holy Spirit to empower us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We see a glimpse of this. We're told to walk by the Spirit to live by the Spirit, and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, that our hope for doing the Word of God that we see is not self-effort, it's the Holy Spirit filling us. That's where we're told a few verses later in Galatians 5, 25, something very similar. We're told if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit, that our hope for fulfilling the will of God is not self-effort, it is the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God in our lives, friends. And we're going to talk more about that next week when we get into the questions about 
the Holy Spirit. So what is our responsibility, friends? Quite simply, it's to know the Word of God, to spend time reading it and meditating and memorizing it and asking the Holy Spirit to make it alive to us and to transform us. That is a grace focus and a grace-filled life, and from that, works comes. Let's bring all of that together. Here's the main idea of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. If you want one sentence to try to summarize this text, I believe this is it. The same grace that saves us also transforms us to produce in our lives good works for the glory of God. Our hope for good works is not self-effort. It's not white-knuckled determination, not me trying harder. The hope comes because the same grace that God poured out that saved me, that saved you if you are in Christ, the grace that has said you are his workmanship, his poem, is the same grace that's still at work today, transforming us for the glory of God by producing in us works that make much of God. The same grace that saves us transforms us to produce in our lives good works for the glory of God. Now, maybe thinking, that didn't really answer our question, do we have to do good works? Well, yes, but with a strong clarification. It depends on what we mean by must do good works. Must do good works to get to God? No. Must do good works to please God and get back to Him? No. But rather, we must do good works because if we are in Christ, they will naturally flow. They are what He produces in us. When He gives grace to save, He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just save someone and leave them on their own. He saves and transforms. He saves and He restores. And so, yes, we must do good works because they show that grace is working in our lives. They are the evidence of a grace-focused and a grace-filled life. I love how the Catechism answers it when it asks, must we do good works? And it says, yes, so that we may be assured of our faith by the fruit. So do we do good works to get to God? No. Do we do good works to try to repay him? No. We do good works because we can't help it, because the Holy Spirit is within us, and his grace that has changed, is, that has saved us, is changing us, and is making new works come out of us because of what he has done. The same grace that saves us transforms us to produce in our lives good works for the glory of God. That leads us to two questions this morning. Number one, have you received this grace and salvation? Have you come to a place You've quit striving to get to God and hoping he's going to be pleased with you if you just do the right thing and come to church and get in that small group and serve in some way and help that person. Have you realized you can never get to God on your own and you've come to rely on his grace and his grace alone for salvation? If not, friends, run to him and cry out for this grace that saves. Back what we read in verse 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. But friends, the second question is, if you have received that grace, how is that grace still transforming you today? How is that grace still transforming you today? Because God doesn't save you and then just leave you on your own. For a follower of Christ, his grace continues to operate, continues to work to produce in us good work. So friends, as you think about even the beginning of this new year, how is God's grace transforming you? How is the word of God growing your knowledge of the Lord? How is the word of God convicting you of sin? How is the Holy Spirit convicting you and shaping you into the person God desires for you? What is some area that God has grown you in? this year already. And perhaps for many of us, we don't even stop to think about that. We're such busy people with such distracted lives. So friends, perhaps a challenge for this week is at some point this week when you're tempted to pull out your phone and scroll through or to turn on the TV or to go turn on that video game, to stop and instead of running to that, let's take a few minutes and run to the Lord and just to pause and reflect on his grace and salvation. To reread verses 8, 9, and 10 and simply to pause and say, Lord, where have you grown me this year? If you're a child of God, you should be able to see ways that he's been working in you, teaching you about himself, growing and conforming your desires, shaping you into who he wants you to be. But even he's done that, friends, none of us are finished projects. 
We are all still works in, in progress as he's continuing to make us into his masterpiece, his poem. And so to pause and pray, Lord, how do you want to grow me? Lord, how do you want to shape me? What do you want to do in me to produce more good works for your glory? And to stop and to listen and to read the word and to let God shape us on that. God gives grace upon grace upon grace. And so let's ask him for that grace to continue to shape our lives to being lives that bring glory to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for your grace. Lord, it seems so inadequate to be able to say that when we realize that, Lord, we didn't deserve to even be born, yet you created us. Lord, we didn't deserve salvation because we've rebelled against you and continue to rebel against you. And Lord, we certainly didn't deserve grace to be your workmanship, your poem, your masterpiece. And yet, God, you've given that to us. You've given us life. You've given us salvation. You've given us this incredible identity. And God, you've given us ongoing transformation. Lord, you've given us your word to show us who you are so we don't have to guess. You've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to encourage us, to convict us, to guide us, to direct us. But we deserve nothing of this. Now, we deserve nothing but hell and damnation and condemnation and your wrath because we'd all offended you. We'd all shaken our fist in your face and said, not your ways, but mine in this life, God. But you didn't give us what we deserved. You gave us grace. You're still giving us grace. You're giving us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Oh, Lord, help us marvel at this. Lord, help us, Lord, just be in awe of you and your love and your goodness and who you are. And Lord, we simply ask this morning as your people that you would not stop transforming us. God, that we realize the grace that you gave us that saved us is the grace that's still operating today, transforming us. Lord, I pray you would guard us from being content where we are. God, but we want more and more of your presence, more and more of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, more and more transformation. Not so it's about us, but so it's all about you. So this week, would you fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit? We pray that he would convict us of sin, that he would encourage us in God, so that he would produce in us and through us good works that point those around us to you and who you are. So Lord, we need you to do that. We can't manufacture this, so we just humbly ask that you would do this in us this week. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?
We read it earlier, but Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Let that be our prayer this week. God bless you, Gateway family, and have a great afternoon.